Good morning, good morning, good morning. How are you? The Lord be with you. It's so good to see your faces. Stand to your feet if you're able to. And the scripture calls us to lift up our hands in the holy place. And so here we are together in God's presence. Can you lift your hand in the holy place? And as we lift our hands, it's just uh, it's a couple things. It's a posture of surrender or surrendering to God. But it's also a posture of welcome. We're welcoming the Holy Spirit. And so now in your own way, can you just begin to welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit? Just positioning your heart, opening up your spirit, readying your mind, you're readying your body. Paul says, offer your bodies, therefore in view of God's mercies. You're gonna offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And so... That's what we're doing this morning, oh God. We're offering ourselves to you, such as we are. We're coming in this morning, many of us, our minds are tired, our spirits are weary, our bodies are exhausted, but you're not asking us to be perfect. You're just asking us to give ourselves to you. And so that's what we do. We're offering ourselves to you, great high priest, Jesus the Lord. In your name, we give ourselves to you. And what you do is you make us an offering fit for your Father. And so we say, Lord, have your way among us. Spirit, come. Teach us to praise. Teach us to worship. Elevate our worship. We're asking in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. Let's worship together. All right, Ah, oh, come on, let's make a joyful noise to the Lord this morning. Lift your voice, let's sing. When all I see is the battle, you see my victory as you do. When all I see is a mountain, you see a mountain blue. I walk through the shadow Your love surrounds me Thank you, Jesus There's nothing to fear For I am saved Lift your voice So when I fight all Fight on my knees With my hands lifted high Oh God, the battle belongs to you. Every fear I lay at your feet, I'll sing through the night. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. Thank you, Lord. And if you are for me, who can be against me? For Jesus, there's nothing impossible for you. When I see all the ashes, you see them beauty. Yes, you do. When I see is a cross, God, you see the empty tomb. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. So when I fight, oh, fight on my knees, with my hands lifted high, oh, God. 
the battle belongs to you Every fear I lay at your feet I'll sing through the night Oh God, the battle belongs to you Almighty Fortress You go before us Nothing can stand against the power of our God You shine in the shadows You win and this you do Yes, you do, come on Can stand against Sing, Almighty God Almighty Fortress You go before us Nothing can stand against the power of our God You shine in the shadows You win every battle Nothing can stand against the power of our God And Almighty, come on, sing it out You go before us, yes you do Nothing can stand against the power Sing that He shines, you shine in the shadows You win every battle Nothing can stand against the power of our God My hands lifted high Oh God, the battle belongs to you Every fear I lay at your feet I'll sing through the night Oh God, the battle belongs to you Oh God, the battle belongs to you Come on, church, would you give praise in the house of the Lord this morning? The battle belongs to you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. How would you stir up faith in the house of the Lord today? In our own spirits, Jesus. Help us, give us courage, Jesus.
see things like you do. God, we look to you. You're where our help comes from. Give us wisdom. You know just what to do. Sunday we do this, we gather, sometimes we sing the same songs, and most of the time we even say the creed, which is the same words, you know, day after day I tell my wife that I love her, 
She's one of my, my favorite people. Most of the time, those words are so easy to say. And every time we say them, the feeling just gets stronger. And Eugene Peterson says this. He says that we don't, we don't feel our way into action. He says that we act our way into feeling. And so what happens is there's this muscle in us. And when it gets worked, it gets strengthened. And so as we, this morning, we're going to say this creed that, that says what our response is to the Lord. It, it has language, as words that talk about what our relationship is to one another and how God feels about us. And this might be words that just, are you going through the motion? And don't be mad at yourself for that, but you still need to go through it. You still need to exercise that muscle and see how the Lord comes in behind it. He fills it with his Holy Spirit and he fills it with his life because we act our way into feeling. As Eugene Peterson said, would you say this with confidence this morning? We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through Him all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped glorified he has spoken through the prophets we believe in one holy universal and apostolic church we acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come say it amen sing
receive what is yours. Would you do it today? Receive what is yours. Seem worthy.
it's at this moment that we come to a time where we give of our tithes and offerings and I don't have something like super inspirational to say to you but what I feel like God wants to say to some of you is he sees your generosity those of you who have been man you have seen financial blessing upon your life and you've been giving out of that man God sees you those of you who like you're living paycheck to paycheck you got that zero based budget going on you're doing the envelope system. You've fallen into the cult of Dave Ramsey because you're trying to get like your finances into a good spot, man. God, God sees you. He sees the generosity that you're showing up with. For those of you who, man, every week is just a struggle and you're not sure if you're going to make it to the next paycheck and you're giving out of that, man, God sees you. And I say that to simply say, thank you for choosing to show that obedience here at New Life East. Because your generosity is not just used for like a Sunday service, but your generosity, those moments where you're either giving out of abundance or out of very little is going to impact the lives of single moms across the city of Colorado Springs. It's going to make sure that kids are experiencing the gospel. It's going to make sure that all sorts of things are happening in the lives of people that you may never meet but thank you for your obedience and thank you for your generosity. If you wanna to continue to partner with us in generosity, there's multiple ways that you can give, whether it's online or it's here physically in person. But nonetheless, thank you for your obedience in trusting the Lord with your resources. If we haven't had the chance to meet before, my name is Rory, I'm one of the pastors here. And I just have two announcements for you this morning. For the first one, I wanna invite my friend Becky Harling to come on up. Becky is, uh, Becky helps lead our women's ministry around here. So Becky, tell these mostly women what's going on. <laughs> so I want to invite you ladies on October 14th, we're going to have a women's retreat. It goes from nine in the morning until two in the afternoon. So it's very doable. And you are really in for a treat because our guest speaker this year is Linda Dillo. And I know some of you have read her books. In fact, her bestseller, Find Calm My Anxious Heart, the women in Ukraine are now 
reading this over each other during the war. And so God's going to do something miraculous on this day. I want to invite you to come and connect. How can they sign up? They, that's right. I forgot that part. I got so I got excited you. about I got the you. retreat. Uh, this Thank is what you, I'm here Lori. for, to just help. Right, right. So you can sign up at Guest Central. We actually have an iPad out there to help you register. Please register early so that we can plan for you as far as food and everything else. Perfect. You nailed Thanks, it. Rory. Becky Harling, everyone. Thank you so much. You can drop it right there on your way off. The other announcement I have for you. Bam, drop card. Some of you will notice there are these sitting around in the rows. There's a men's retreat coming up as well. So we're not just doing stuff for the ladies around here. Guys, we got something for you as well. On October 6th through 7th, we are a part of planning a retreat for not just New Life East, but for all of New Life congregations. And it's going to be at Golden Bell Camp up in near Divide, Colorado. You are going to want to be a part of this. You can scan the QR code that is on this card. If you don't see one in your row, come steal this one from me at some point today. You can have it and sign up to be a part of that as well. Now, why don't you take a second to turn and say good morning to someone around you? All right, good morning. Good to see you all this morning. I'll invite you to go find your seats. Uh, the Lord be with you. Yeah, good. Uh, we're wishing God's presence upon everybody. So that's a beautiful thing. If this is your first time with us this morning, my name is Andrew, and uh, I'm the lead pastor here. It's a joy to have you in our house. New Life East uh, is one of eight congregations of New Life Church meeting across the Colorado Springs area. If this is your first time with us, uh, we would love the opportunity to get to know you, answer any questions you might have. So come and see us at Connect Central immediately following the service. We've got a gift for you, and uh, we'd love to get to know you a little bit better. I have one announcement 
uh, for you this morning before we open the scriptures. Uh, We have Baptism Sunday is coming up, and we are excited about that. Uh, Across all of our New Life congregations, a couple times a year, uh, we do baptisms. Normally, uh, we will do baptisms right after, so like the Sunday following Easter, and that's just a rowdy time together. And then we'll also do it in October, but uh, for us as a congregation, we have a ton going on in the month of October. And so we're going to do it in September again, okay? And so you might be sitting here this morning and you're like, Andrew, who should get baptized? Anybody who loves Jesus who has not been baptized should get baptized. And so maybe you're sitting here and you've been a follower of Jesus your whole life, but you've never taken the plunge. Next Sunday is your opportunity. Or maybe... You've just like, you're kind of just coming around church a little bit. You've been moonlighting the services the last couple weeks. And you're like, man, I love what's happening here. The character of Jesus that you guys talk about is very compelling to me. And I believe in Jesus. And I, this whole thing, the church, I'm into this. I want to be part of this. You should get baptized. Or it might be that you have a little one in your house. And you see faith is beginning to awaken And that little one, that little one should get baptized. I got baptized when I was about 10 years old. And uh, we did it, and I've got uh, some former pastors of mine, uh, Glenn and Vicki Smith. They lead our altar ministry team. They've been part of New Life East for the last couple of years. And I, so I got, I got baptized in Dave and Christy Cole's above-ground, overly chlorinated swimming pool in central Wisconsin. Dave and Christy were elders at our church. And uh, it was such a glorious time. And if you had asked me, like when I came up out of the water, Andrew, can you explain the faith? I would have said, no, I can't do it. But you know what I knew? that I loved Jesus, and I wanted Jesus, and I wanted to be part of the church. And uh, Martin Luther said, the great reformer said one time, he was like, you know, none of us ever actually really has any idea of what we're doing when we get baptized. So you might as well, if the waters are in front of you, just jump in and take the plunge. So that's like my pitch to you this morning. If you have not been baptized, you can sign up. Where can they sign up? Can they sign up online? Can they talk to you? Can they talk to you, Colin? They could, t- they could talk to me. They could talk to any of us. They make it happen. It's going to be so great. Okay. I'm going to invite you to turn your Bibles to the book of 1 Kings, chapter 8. We're on this, in this series on 1 Kings uh, called Kings and Kingdoms. And just a brief recap for you. You might remember if you've been following along in this series that it was never the will of God for the people of God to have one singular leader like over them as a king. God always intended to rule among his people through the office of the priesthood, so mediating the presence of God to the people of God, and also through the office of the prophet, so bringing the word of God to the people of God. But as far as like one all-powerful, supreme military commander, administrator, God was like, "Eh, let's not do that. And for some very obvious reasons, namely that Supreme military commanders, administrative leaders tend to be troublesome in God's world. Can I get an amen from somebody? And so God was like, just how about not do that? And we can have judges and different people ruling different things, but no kings, please. And the people of God, stiff-necked and rebellious as they always are, said to God, but don't you see these other nations over there? They're like so cool and they have kings and can we do that? And God was like, fine. And so God gave them kings and the kings turned out to be troublesome. And the book of First Kings and Second Kings is really the story of the rise and fall of the great empire that was Israel under the reign of its kings. And so the greatest of the kings really was David. But when we get to 1 Kings, David, who had reigned for 40 years now, he's coming to the end of his life, and he appoints his son Solomon 
to be the king after him. And Solomon had some flaws, as all kings do, but Solomon was actually a pretty decent king as far as kings go. One of the things that Solomon did for the people of God is that he built the temple of God. So up to this point in Israel's life, it had been a tabernacle, kind of a movable tent of God's presence. But Solomon builds the temple. So it's this place to house the glory of God. And then he also builds this magnificent palace for himself, which really was sort of a symbol of the great military and legal leadership of God's people. So it's the presence of God and the reign of God symbolically have come together in the temple and in the palace. And now we're coming to this moment here in the book of 1 Kings chapter 8, where what we're going to see is now that the temple and the palace are completed, the people of God are going to bring that great other symbol of the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant, up and bring it to rest in the temple. We pick up the text in chapter 8 and verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. The scripture says, Then King Solomon summoned into his presence at Jerusalem the elders of Israel, all the heads of the tribes, and the chiefs of the Israelite families to bring up the Ark of the Lord's Covenant from Zion, the city of David. And all the Israelites came together, so all of them, came together to King Solomon at the time of the festival in the month of Ethanim, the seventh month. Verse 3, And when all the elders of Israel had arrived, the priests took up the Ark, and they brought up the Ark of the Lord in the tent of meeting and all the sacred furnishings in it. And the priests and the Levites carried it all up, And King Solomon and the entire assembly of Israel that had gathered about him were before the ark and they're sacrificing. So sacrifices are always a statement of prayer and worship and thanksgiving, okay? So just like when we come into the house of God, we're making a sacrifice of prayer and praise and thanksgiving. Uh, We do it with our words. They do it with their words, but they're also doing it with these sheep and cattle. Sacrificing so many sheep and cattle that they couldn't be recorded or counted. So the whole thing was a big bloody mess which sometimes that happens in worship, you know. Okay, and then, so then the priests then brought the Ark of the Lord's Covenant to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, and they put it beneath the wings of the cherubim. The cherubim spread their wings over the place of the Ark and overshadowed the Ark and its carrying poles. And the poles were so long that their ends couldn't be seen from the holy place in front of the inner sanctuary, but not from the outside, the holy place. And they're still there today. Verse 9, there was nothing. We're going to come back to this text here. So circle this in your Bible. But there was nothing in the ark except the two stone tablets that Moses had placed in it at Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with the Israelites after they came out of Egypt. And watch this. And most of my sermon is going to circle around this this morning. But when the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord. And verse 11, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord and all God's people said. And so we come before you, O Lord, our God, and we thank you for this text of scripture that reminds us and teaches us about who you are and what you desire for your people. We ask that as we come into your presence this morning, as we open up this text, we ask that the text of scripture would be more than just a historical recollection of something that you did once upon a time, we're asking that you would take it up, living word of God, Jesus the Lord. We're asking that you would take it up and that you would make it part of your speech to us, how you're communicating to us in this moment. Come among us. We thank you that the scripture, well, you said, Jesus, that wherever two or three are gathered in your name, that you'd be there in the midst of them. And so we pray that in these moments, we would sense your presence with us, provoking us, helping us, teaching us, leading us deeper into the mystery. Granite, we're asking, we say, may the words of the preacher's mouth and the meditation of the hearer's hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength 
And our Redeemer, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, we don't uh, really know what God was thinking when he was creating the heavens and the earth. When you look at Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, we're sort of thrust into the action right from the get-go. And you have God, the all-powerful, omnipotent one, is creating the heavens and the earth, and he's fashioning this beautiful cosmos. And he's not really very clear in it, chapter 1, chapter 2, Genesis, about his intentions. You're kind of going like, if you don't know anything about the biblical God, you're going like, what is this all about? And then all of a sudden we come to this moment in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8. God has fashioned the cosmos, he's fashioned the earth, and he's fashioned the Garden of Eden within it. And then the scripture says, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And that catches our attention. But God could be doing anything. God, the all-powerful, omnipotent one, God, omnipresent, God, everywhere within the cosmos. He creates this universe, and then he creates earth, which is a speck of dust within the cosmos. And then he creates the Garden of Eden, which is this speck of dust on the speck of dust inside the cosmos. And you're like, what are you doing, God? Now that you've done this thing, shouldn't you be going off and doing something else? And instead, what is God doing? He's walking around here. And you start getting the impression that maybe this was what it was all about. That God fashions the heavens and the earth and the spaces that we live in so that he can move into those spaces with his own presence. Maybe what God is after more than anything else is God is after fellowship with us. God is after communion with us. And if this verse weren't enough to convince us that that was the case, the theme gets repeated over and over in Scripture. After God delivers his people up out of Egypt, he's preparing to lead them into the promised land, and he's giving them some instructions about what they're supposed to do when they get into the promised land. And watch what God says to his people, Leviticus 26, 12. I will, what does the text say there? Where have we heard that before? Yeah, Genesis 3. It's like God picks up the thing. Like, do you remember, God's like, do you remember that thing that I did with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden? And even after they ate of the fruit of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, and were thrown out of the garden, I still, like, this is still my desire. My my whole desire has always been to have my people in my place, under my rule, in my presence. I will walk among them and be what? I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my... What is God after? He's after us. He's after fellowship with us. And God could have done it any other way. He could have written this whole salvation story so that once he kind of puts things together, he goes, hey, you guys good now? Everything, you got everything you need? You know, you're in the land and the buildings are built and you've got all the stuff that you need. And so we're good, good, good. Okay, great. I'm going to get out of here and go. He could, have, he could have done it that way, but he doesn't want to do it that way. The way that he wants to do it is he wants to be with us. He's trying to move in among us. Karl Barth, the great theologian of the 20th century, said that the God with us, it's the very center. Think about this. It's the very center of the Christian message and everything else's circumference. Everything else that we say and do and teach in Christianity, it all revolves around this living center of God with us, which of course comes to a point of culmination in the person of Jesus, the Lord, who is called Emmanuel, which somebody say it means what? This is what God is trying to do. And here at First Kings, we see him doing that. 
that that thing that he was doing in Genesis and the promise that he made in Leviticus, all of a sudden now he's making good on. And so these people are bringing up the ark of the Lord and they're getting ready to set it in the temple of God. And the scripture says in verse 10 and 11 that when the priests of the Lord, next slide, come on now, they withdrew from the holy place. The cloud filled the temple of the Lord, verse 11. And the priests couldn't perform their service because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled its temple. It's like they're there and they're doing all this religious stuff and sacrificing and singing all the songs. But what are they doing it for? They're doing it to create a space where the living presence of God can come. And that presence is a real presence. It's a substantive thing. It's a something, which is why the writer of 1 Kings says that it's the glory of the Lord. You know what the Hebrew word for glory is? It's kavod. Do you know what it means? Weight or heaviness. It's a thing. And our language kind of trips us up, I think, at this point. Because one of the things that we say about God is that God is spirit. And we say that because the Bible teaches us to say that, that God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. But when we think of spirit, what do we think of? We think of like a ghost. You know, vapor, a waft of something that if the wind blows just right, it's less than real. But when the Bible uses the word spirit to talk about God, it's not talking about something that's less than real spirit. Okay, a word that we used a lot when I was a kid growing up in church is we talked about God being supernatural. And I always thought that that meant that God is, for some reason in my mind, I thought that meant God is less than natural. So we're the real thing and God is kind of the unsubstantial thing. But to be supernatural doesn't mean that you're less than natural. To be supernatural means that you're natural plus, <laughs> more than natural. So that when God makes manifest its pre his presence, God is not this wispy, vaporous thing. God is as real or more real than the ground under our feet and the things in this room. And that's what happens in 1 Kings, that God makes manifest his presence and they can't get around God. Are you tracking with me this morning? I want to say to you that there are, this text I think challenges some lies that we are tempted to believe about God. It's putting forth before us a vision of God. One lie I think that we're tempted to believe about God is that God doesn't exist. God is just kind of a mythical thing, sort of a construct. God is, you know, the way that the, you know, people in ancient times talked about God, that was really, you know, they were very primitive in their brains. And what we know about God now because of science is that God is really the name that we give to the sense of transcendence that we all have. And so, but God doesn't God the way that we, God doesn't really actually exist, you know, and, and, but the writer of Hebrews says that without faith, it's impossible to please God because anybody who comes to God has to believe that he is, and that he, do you know it? He exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And so that's what first Kings eight is saying to us is that God exists and there's something in it for us. But if we don't believe that lie about God, Maybe one of the lies that we believe about God is that God exists, but he's not really here. You know what I mean? Like God is just one being among all the beings in the cosmos, and God has a very busy schedule. And so sometimes he kind of shows up among us, and he kind of does his thing. But then, as you know, there are lots of things to attend to. You know, our three dimensions, our four dimensions of space and time and all of that. But plus now, like all the quantum physicists and people are saying that there are like many, many, many more dimensions 
And so the multiverse is a thing. And so God is somewhere like in the multiverse. We learn this from Marvel. <laughs> that God is somewhere in the multiverse doing things. And he'll show up, you know, when we're in trouble, when we really need him, maybe, but he's not really here. And now God is somewhere else. And so it creates this kind of feeling about God that God kind of flits in and flits out of our experience. But that's not what this text says, is it? God exists, but he's not here. Another lie that we might believe about God is that God exists, but as we said, he's shadowy and he's insubstantial. And therefore, even if he is present among us, his presence doesn't really matter among us right now. And I want to say to you that the biblical vision of reality is that God is always right here and he's always right now and he is more real than the ground underneath our feet. And part of the reason that we come together in worship, part of the reason that we gather like this is we're trying to have our eyes opened again to the reality of God. And we are trying to encounter the living God in the beauty of holiness. Why do we forget this? I don't know why we forget it. But it is the strangest thing to me. I've been a Christian all my life. I've been sitting through church services all my life. And it is so strange to me how we can gather together in the presence of God and say all of the great things that we say. I mean, think about the creed that we said earlier in the service here. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, life from life. This grandiose story, you know what I mean? He was put to death under Pontius Pilate, raised again on the third day, seated at the right hand of the Father, will come again to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. I mean, these huge, magnificent things talking about the reality of God. But for us, it can be so like, Jesus loves me, this I know. You know what I mean? Are we done yet? You know, because I got a brisket on the grill that I got to get to. It's like we, what? Have you forgotten? We're dealing with God. We're dealing with the burning core of existence. We are dealing with radiating holiness. The theologians will say that God is ontologically real. That means that God is like the hard substance underneath all that is. God is not wispy. God is not vapory. God is not shadowy. God is not insubstantial. God is the realest real. Uh, the scripture talks about how a fire rages around God, a tempest around him. The writer of Hebrews says that our God is a consuming fire that is preparing to shake the heavens and the earth. And Annie Dillard, one of the great writers of the last century, said that she said, we gather in church and we don't realize what we're dealing with. We come in with our sort of flowery hats and our nice clothes and stuff. And she goes, what we should do when we gather for worship is put on our hard hats. What's going to happen? God might show up. And do you not think our expectation in worship is that God might show up? We, sh we ought to expect to bump into the living God. I'm so happy to have been one of the great benefits of my life is that I was raised in a church, I was raised in a tradition of Christianity that valued God as really real. <laughs> and we sang the songs and read the scriptures and we did the things. But the scriptures and the creeds and the things that we did 
all of that was like, this is at least my impression remembering it, that all of it was a way of setting the stage for the encounter with God. You know what I mean? And so like what we did earlier in saying the creed, to me, the creed is not the destination. We're not doing this so that God will like us better. You know what I mean? Or to fulfill some religious obligation. The reason that we're doing all this stuff is because we're trying to, like, uh, any of you, uh, when you were kids, you ever jump on the trampoline? You know, and it's like so much fun. That, that, you know, that's what I think the creeds are. And the songs and like all the things that we do is we're like, we're trying, it's like an attempt to jump into God. Think about what happens here in 1 Kings chapter 8. They're coming up and they're reading and they're singing and they're sacrificing, but all of it is like prelude for God to show up. And when I was a kid, our church services, God showed up. And I can remember those services where people would be, the presence of God would move in among us and people would be laying on the floor and crying their eyes out and folks getting healed and knocked over by the power of God. We called it getting slain in the spirit. A lot like actually what was happening in 1 Kings 8. The priests couldn't even perform their service. You know what I think that they were doing? Well, I think that they were laying on the ground with modesty cloths draped over them is what I think. And you, if you grew up in the tradition, you know. They couldn't do it. And you know, you can read the scriptures cover to cover. When God shows up, this happens over and over and over again. Do you remember when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and they start asking him, hey, are you Jesus of Nazareth? And do you remember he's got that great moment where he says, I am. And do you remember what happens? Because that's what happens when God shows up. And what I saw in the tradition of my upbringing was that as we lean into the really real presence of God, our lives actually become more real and substantial. I'd watch us, I'd watch the worshipers leave the house of God after having encountered the presence of the living God. And it's like their heads were higher. Their shoulders were back, more joy in their hearts. And I've learned this over the years. I watched this in my parents I remember getting up early in the morning. I'd come downstairs 5, 5.30 in the morning and my mom would be sitting there at the island with her Bible open and my dad would be sitting there at the kitchen table with his Bible open and I could tell, I just knew it. That what they were doing was not sort of like entertaining the deity or checking off the religious box. I could tell, like every time it happened, I would walk in and I would go, I'm walking in on something here. I'm walking in on these people knowing that this God is real And somehow what they're doing in the presence of God is that they're drawing realness from God. And do you realize that's what happens? That our relationship with God is not supposed to be some external thing where we relate to him out there. Our relationship with God is a matter of our being integrated into the reality of God. Peter says it so beautifully. One of Jesus' best friends says, 2 Peter chapter 1, he says, through these he has given us very great and precious promises. Can any of you finish the verse? So that through... So that through them, the promises, we may participate in the divine nature. Most of us, the way we think about God is that I'm just supposed to believe about you. And what happens when I believe in God is God gives me like the magical ticket to heaven. And then at the end of my life, when I'm standing at the pearly gates, I present my ticket to heaven and they punch it and then I get in. It's all external. It's all transactional. You know how the New Testament talks about salvation? Salvation is about our, like God is the real thing and we are shadowy. And so in salvation, what happens is we get incorporated into the reality of God 
so that our lives somehow begin to take on the substance that God is. We move out of the shadows and into the real. We move out of weakness and into strength. We move out of being vaporous and into something that can be touched and handled. We become real. I saw it in those people that I grew up with. I saw it in my parents. And I've learned it in my own life. I remember when I was a teenager, somebody put in my hands that beautiful little book by Brother Lawrence, 300 years ago, a monk. And this little guy, Brother Lawrence, he started learning how to practice the presence of God. And he was like, not famous, not powerful, not any of that. But he began to like learn how to access the presence of God, ready himself for God. If somebody said, you got to read this book. If you haven't read Practice of the Presence of God, buy it this afternoon. And I know how it is. It's one click drop ship and it'll, have, it'll be at your door tomorrow and you'll have it finished in the afternoon, I promise. And it'll change your life. Because what Brother Lawrence figured out is that God is always with us at all times. And so like our job is to just wake up to the presence of God. And as we do, what happens is like joy comes spilling into our lives. You know what I mean? Strength comes spilling into our lives. And I've learned this over the years. I started practicing the presence of God when I was 16, 17, 18. I'd wake up in the early morning and I'd read the scriptures for a little bit. And when one of those scriptures would jump out at me, I would like begin to feast on it in my heart. I assumed that Jesus, the living word, was taking the living words of scripture and he was beginning to feed me by them. And I would let the presence of God wash over me. And then I would, I would take that little scripture verse and I would write that down on a note card and I would stick it in my pocket. Whatever it was, that little bit of encouragement. And I would, as I walked throughout my day and did my things, I would, any time I felt myself kind of tipping out of the presence of God, I would reach my hand in my pocket and I would pull out that little thing and put it in front of me. I have set the Lord continually before me because he's at my right hand. I will not be shaken. And all of a sudden, mentally, I'd lock back into the presence of God. And I'm telling, I've been doing this for 25 years. I don't know where my life would be without the practice of the presence of God. Somehow when you practice the presence, what's happening is we're drawing strength from God. We become more like him in the world. Our lives take on substance, which I think, by the way, Remember that little verse I had you circle and underline verse 9 in there? Watch what happens. It says that in this Ark of the Covenant, this place that symbolized the presence of God, the writer says that there's nothing in the Ark except what? The two stone tablets that Moses had placed in it at Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with the Israelites after they had come out of Egypt. I think that that's fascinating. What is, so this Ark that symbolizes the presence of God, what's inside the Ark of the Covenant of the Presence? Number one, it's the two stone tablets that teach the people of God how to live. And those two stone tablets are a symbol of the covenant, the promises that God has made. Among those promises is never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. So do you know what happens to the people of God when they come to the presence of God? We remember how we are supposed to be in the world and we are shaped for hope. Oh, that's right. <laughs> God is real. God has committed himself to me. God is present for me, not just in my past and not just in my present, but God is present with me where? In my future. And so I have nothing to fear in life and death because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And I've experienced this over and over and over again that I start, I'm lost in my mind. I don't know what to do. And I begin to edge my way into the presence of God. And two things happen. 
I get direction for my life. Oh, that's right. Thou shalt, thou shalt, thou shalt, thou shalt not, shalt not, shalt not. Got it. I remember the plot. And then also hope starts waking up in me again. That God is waiting for me in my future. Friends, let me say it to you this way. Next slide. That our lives are strong and substantial to the extent that we learn to practice the presence of God. And Israel is a negative case in point. (laughs) They got this moment here. It's a great mountaintop moment. And the Lord puts them together as a people. But what we will learn through the books of 1 and 2 Kings is that they stop practicing the presence of God. They prefer to practice the presence of Baal and Ashtoreth and other deities. Or they prefer to practice the presence of their own wealth and their ambition and their power. And what happens to Israel? Their life falls into shadows, which is what happens when we, <laughs> it's what happens when we stop practicing the presence of God. Let me give you three things, 1158. Let me give you three things. How do we practice the presence of God? Three things that I think are crucial. One, you've heard me say this before, but I'll say it again. Uh, be in church as often as the doors are open. Can I get an amen from somebody? If there is a density of the presence of God, I, and I know you can experience God when you listen to your favorite music because I listen to my favorite music and I experience God and I love it. And you can experience the presence of God when you read poetry and I read a lot of poetry and I experience the presence of God and I love it. And you can experience the presence of God, you know, when you're eating your favorite meal. I don't know what your favorite meal is, in and out Burger or whatever it is. And actually, if you experience the presence of God eating in and out Burger, there's something wrong probably. I'm just teasing you. There is nothing like experiencing the presence of God with the people of God. There's a density of presence here that is unlike anywhere else. And I go on the nature walks and the solitude retreats and I do all that stuff by myself, but it's unlike anything else. Jesus said, I've said it a couple times in this service, wherever two or three or what? Gather together my name, what happens? I'm there right in the, I'm there right in the midst of them. Jesus has pledged his presence to the people of God when they... When they gather, which is why the writer of Hebrews says, don't forsake the gathering together, the assembling of the brethren and the sistren. Somehow God is in that place. I think about it. You experience here when you come into the presence of God. I think about last week we had together, that open mic time. Some of you, both services were just so incredible. In the first service, it was like the Lord just ripped the doors off this place. And there was prophecy and prayer and words of knowledge and wisdom and tears. Danny Schoenfeld, some of you might know Big D, God up and gave this testimony in the first service about the faithfulness of God in his life as he took a big financial risk. And then he began talking about one of his kids who's in trouble. And so we decided to pray for kids. And there was like this dynamism of the spirit released. And we all walked out of this building a little bit better because we walked into this building in the first place to experience the presence of God with the people of God. Be in church as often as the doors are open, and I know as well as you do that there are so many things that are vying for attention and trying to get us out of here. I got my brisket on the grill. You got football parties that you're hosting and all that stuff. We got things. But if you don't make it a priority, it'll never happen, number one. Number two, I'd say you just make time for prayer. I've been in this for a long time, and I love spiritual formation and all this stuff. There's this whole, like, renaissance of spiritual formation that's happening right now in our country, and I so love it, and all kinds of different spiritual pathways and practices and things that you can do to experience the presence of God. But do you know that you never graduate beyond this? 
There is really nothing beyond this. On a personal level, it's really just all about finding a way to get in the presence of God on a personal level, consistently, daily. For prayer, maybe you're sitting there and you're like, Andrew, I just don't know how to do that. I don't know how to have a prayer life. Here, let me give you the best instructions I know of. This is Eugene Peterson translating the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. And when you come before God, I love this, don't turn that into a theatrical production. All these people making a regular show out of their prayers, hoping for 15 minutes of fame. Do you think that God sits in a box seat? Here's what I want you to do. I love this. Find a simple, find a quiet, secluded place so that you won't be tempted to role play before God. Be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. And the focus will shift from you to God and you will begin to sense his grace. How many of you in this room, you've experienced that before? Yeah, you know how to do this. You grab your scriptures and you begin reading the Psalms and you just get quiet. It doesn't take all that long, although the more time you can spend, the better. Five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, and you're reading the scriptures. Peter says it so beautifully. He says that we have the word of the prophets made more certain. He says, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Have you ever experienced that? As you're meditating on the scripture, you're rehearsing the words of Jesus or the Psalms, and it feels like, uh, what's going on here? And I'm not really connecting. And then all of a sudden, the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And before you know it, you're in God's presence. Why are we so sporadic in practicing his presence? And you know it when you're in it, that it's like you're drinking life straight from the source, do it more often. And so we get our butts in church and we pray, we make prayer a priority. And then number three, can I just say this to you? This is the last thing I'll say, is that we just remember Jesus Christ in all that we do, in all that we're undertaking in our lives. Paul writes to offer your bodies as living sacrifices Sometimes you're just about your day, you're doing your thing, you're in the middle of a conversation and you find yourself getting washed away by fear or doubt or uncertainty. All it takes is this, you call Jesus to mind. And you pray the prayer of the psalmist, Lord, make haste to help me. Oh God, come speedily to my rescue. And you find that Jesus, he doesn't like flit in and out. He was just always right there. That's why the psalmist said, Jesus, he said, when I'm away, when I awake, I'm still with you. That God is always with us. And so would you stand this morning, church? Then, of course, the good news about all of this is that even when we forget to practice the presence of God, even when we do it shabbily, even when we do it sporadically, some of you are like, I've never practiced the presence of God in my life. Some of you are like, I haven't done that in five years. I have not. Am I just like the worst person? And no. Because you know what the hope of the gospel is? It's not that we can practice God's presence. It's that God practices our presence. <laughs> uh, even when we abandon him and forsake him and run away and he just keeps coming after us and that's what the table is this was set before you got here god was preparing this place for your presence and so lord jesus we remember before you that on the night that you were betrayed after you'd given thanks you took bread and you broke it and you gave it to your disciples and you said take this all of you and eat this is my body it's broken for you do this in remembrance of me and in the same way, after the supper, you took the cup saying, drink from this, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
which is poured out for many for the remission of sins. Do it whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, Jesus. You give yourself to us. Your body broken, your blood poured out. The life of God made manifest in your flesh. But that's given to us. And all we need to do is reach out and take and eat and drink. And we find that somehow our lives are drawn out of the shadows into the light, the reality, the substance that you are. So this morning, we pray that at the table, wherever we are, however this moment finds us, we pray that we'd experience you at the table of the Lord. So come this morning, bless these elements, break them, distribute them to us as tokens of your presence, vehicles of the power of God. I grant that we ask in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Amen. I'm going to invite our servers to come forward this morning to serve communion. Communion will be on my right and my left. As you come forward this morning, if you're new with us, we exit up the center aisles row by row. And then you'll come forward. You'll receive a cracker in your hand from one of the servers. You'll dip it in the cup and take it as you head back to your seat. Brothers and sisters, I say to you, these are the gifts of God given for the people of God. Come forward and receive communion. Things have passed away. Your love has stayed the same. Your constant grace remains the cornerstone. Things that we Breathing in life again, you cause your song to shine on darkest night. For all that you've done, will pour out our love to be our anthem song. the one 
sing that old chorus together. I love you, Lord. We did it in the first service. I just want to do it again. Sing it. I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice. Would you lift your heart in your hands, church? Come on.
church with all you got. And may it be a sweet, sweet sound. And may it be a sweet, sweet sound. And may it be a sweet, sweet sound. In your... Oh, and I think it is all that we could ever want, all that we could ever need, all that we could ever hope for in this life we have, because God is with us. And so we thank you for refreshing us again with your presence, for leading us into the place where we could be still and know that you're God. We thank you that you're giving substance to our lives, drawing us out of the shadows and out of the darkness and into your marvelous light situating us again in the kingdom of your beloved son. What can we say but thank you? Church, would you just say thank you from your heart? We say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If the only prayer that we ever prayed in our lives was thank you, it would be enough. We say thank you, Jesus. Now hold your hands out like this. Receive this benediction as you go. I say over you, New Life East, May the Lord bless you and keep you. And may he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and grant you his peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. I'll invite our altar ministry team to come forward. If you need prayer for anything, we'd love to pray with you. Uh, We have Rooted starting tonight. Do we need to do anything special with the chairs? We're going to take care of everything. Whatever Colin said, Colin knows. knows. Yeah, it's all great. Chairs on the left and the right. So if you can clear the back rows, that'd be awesome. Okay, awesome. If you're new, come and see us at Connect Central. We love you. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Go Packers.